welcome to the fifth episode of the Evolving Media Podcast, where we take a look at and try to make sense of the shifting world of media and how we as producers and creators can tackle new challenges and possibilities in order to thrive in a new world. One area I find extremely interesting is esports. The term is so wide and has such a huge following globally that uh, many people you would want to reach has some sort of connection to it. I've also found myself increasingly interested by possibilities to work in and with the world of esports, to tell and convey stories and narratives, to connect to people and audiences that might be difficult to reach in other ways. Still, the world of esports and of streaming is a totally different one than many other media fields. My guest today is Angela Natividad, whom I met the first time at the MIP TV market in France several years ago. She's born and raised in California and has been living in Paris for 10 years. She's worked in advertising as both a journalist and a strategist for one and a half decades. And three years ago she launched Hurrah, the first creative agency that is 100% devoted to esports. She's joining us today to talk a bit about esports, about their relation to other media fields, and what we creators can learn from how the esports world approach their audiences. Angela, how are you today? I'm well. Thank you for inviting me onto your illustrious entertainment podcast, Simon Staffen. You are most welcome to, and thank you for joining me. This is going to be great fun. All right, so eSports is the name of the game, pun not intended today. But so, so I know, that's, that's, that's me in a nutshell. But I, let me tell you, because you have this background, you, I, I, as, I, as I said in the introduction, I met you first off at the MIP market several years ago. So you have this knowledge of all these other media fields as well. What do you see in esports that you don't see in, in other media forms? I just wanted to make a really critical distinction. So um, there's a lot of confusion between uh, esports, gaming generally, and uh, the concept of streaming. So uh, it seems important to just sort of separately define the, those things, because even esports on its own is massive. Somebody recently said that it's, it's proteiform, which I think is a really nice word. Um, it's like talking about sports as a single entity, and it's already much, much bigger. Um, esports, generally speaking, is competitive entertainment, obviously. It's video gaming with a competitive structure and a fandom that actually looks a lot like sports from a functional perspective. And technically, it is a sport, just uh, in the digital realm. Um, and then you have streaming, which in our sector, obviously, streaming means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But in our sector, it's, you know, just literally the act of watching esports live, but also influencer content and also gameplay. And then um, you have gaming which is a much wider universe, oftentimes, and I know you don't do this, and also thank you for never doing this, oftentimes people will talk about esports and gaming like they're interchangeable. And uh, people will also try to talk to the esports community um, as if they are just generally gamers. And those are very different worlds. Um, gaming is a much wider universe, obviously, um, but it's also... It's also kind of like a generalization of a pastime. Esports is a subset of gaming that is speaking to the competitive edge of what used to be a pastime for somebody. It's speaking to an ambition 
it's not just entertainment or a way to pass time anymore. So what tends to happen is when you're talking to esports fans like they're gamers, um, you're kind of punching down. It can be really it can be really unpleasant for them. But when you're talking to gamers as if they're esports fans, depending on who they are, it's kind of like punching up. You're you're elevating things in a different way than if you were talking about gaming generally in the context of esports. I hope that makes sense. But they're also intertwining in a sense. I mean you have you have your, your... Yeah, but that's a, that also brings me back to the original question. So something that you don't see or that you didn't see very much um, in esports versus other media is um, there's an interactivity that was quite native to esports from its very inception. Um, esports started with these these local lands that would happen, you know, like in somebody's garage or something or in a warehouse. And it's naturally involved into this community expression on Twitch, which lets you consume and also engage with your entertainment in real time. That's something that you see quite commonly now. but um, that was something that in a lot of ways came from the esports community because it's actually integral to the esports experience. Like Facebook Watch, if it's doing well now, it's because it owes a lot to Twitch. Um, a lot of other industries have had to evolve into the super social sort of instant response direction. But this is what was part of esports originally. Yeah. And if you look at if you look at uh what creators, you know, the people who are providing this, whether it be in esport tournaments or in streaming, the roles are also a little bit interchanging because you see people who are streamers themselves who are interacting with other streamers on their chats, etc. So, and you got people moving from being uh, esports pros to going back to being just streamers, and you have people moving in the other directions. So the roles are very interchangeable within these different parts of the community, right? Yeah, definitely. One of the cool things about the sector is that uh, in a lot of ways, the business started in a, in a grassroots and local context. So, And it grew very fast. But that also means that the big companies that you see now, um, like ESL, Twitch, or Blizzard, they're actually being led by people who are recognized within the esports community as uh, members of the community themselves. So what's really cool is... People who are fans within esports, they're not just fans of a team or of a player of certain influencers. They're actually really closely following the evolution of the business as well. And because of what we were talking about earlier, like that sort of open feedback loop that's happening in real time, this impacts, as you mentioned, not just the business sector, but also what content creators are making. So from a day-to-day perspective, when you're a creator, you've got this sort of live feedback on Twitch. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like what we saw on YouTube in the early days, like, oh my God, you have all these people that are making content and they're like talking to each other and they're intersecting with each other. It's like this, but it's faster because uh, those people, they still, they were still able to like sort of produce to degrees what they were building and they could publish. And then, you know, they kind of had time to respond to each other. On Twitch, it's happening instantly. Like while you're making the content as an influencer, if you're trying something new on your community and you ask them, yeah, let me know if you like this content, they're answering you as you're recording and they're expecting you to respond as you're recording. So there's a sort of a, in the same way esports is about that sort of competitive edge of gaming and entertainment, um, the way that it's consumed also has this really interesting competitive edge because there's this sort of real-time pressure that you're faced with all the time. 
So you can't be afraid of course correcting live. So uh, in a sense, I mean, this is so this differs so much from traditional media production and, and how to how to act as a producer or a creator of of more traditional media, where you had the financing rounds and you had the development rounds and you had the production thingy and you had the rollout and the marketing and stuff. And, and, and I mean, this is still going on, of course, obviously. But this is this is that but within, you know, seconds of each other, in a sense. Yeah, definitely. But I think one of the things that's really cool about the, about the media industry is that you have this concept of a, of a Bible, which is really important. Like, I know that in scripted television, if you take the example of scripted television, everything is kind of um, tightly financed, tightly scheduled. You've got a showrunner that hopefully has a really coherent vision that's carrying you from season to season to season. Um, But you also have this concept of a Bible, which is sort of, you know, the identity of a show or of a format. Um, I think the really cool thing about esports is that uh, it's a lot more important to be able to build, like to be entertaining in real time. But I think that there's a lot that can be said about the value of a Bible, because when you're entertaining in real time, you have to course correct and you have to be inventive and you have to improvise and you also have to be appealing in real time. That's a lot of pressure. So one of the ways in which you can sort of take pressure off of those people that are literally building something while you watch is, uh, is this notion of a Bible. It's really important if you're building in real time to, um, to have a very strong sense of who you are and where you're going. Um, so I actually think even if, I don't know, like even if in a lot of ways esports is much faster and maybe a lot more improvisational than um than a lot of content creating sectors there are also many things that it can learn from those sectors like in terms of how those sectors have organized themselves especially as tv specifically it's faced a this really interesting disruption over the last 10 years as social has kind of totally transforms the sector and um the way that tv has grappled with those disruptions have provided lots of case studies that I think could also be useful in esports. And I, I guess that uh, if you talk about Bibles in television production, for instance, you're talking you, you're talking about you're talking about these recipes for how to create that particular content, right, or that show. Whereas if you talk about a Bible in in an esport or a streaming streamer setting or a Twitch setting, you're talking about a Bible for yourself basically as a persona yeah exactly i mean i kind of feel like if pewdiepie or ninja had bibles their lives would be a lot easier actually i'm 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 pretty sure that pewdiepie does have a bible about who he is (laughs) and he's kind of like settled into being a horrible person Um, but no yeah it's totally true um when you're an influencer and you're a brand and you're also representing a community and a sector, it's really important to have a sense of clarity about what each of those things is and how you're representing each one of those things. So for example, when you're talking about a team like Cloud9, one of the cool things about Cloud9 is that historically, each one of the players, like the, the legacy original players, they had a certain kind of identity. It was sort of like the same way that you would develop a sitcom format. You know, you have the girl that's really funny, the guy that's just kind of an idiot. I'm not saying that this is exactly what Cloud9 did, but I'm saying um, 
when you're looking at the really big teams, if you're looking at somebody, like if you're looking at teams, for example, coming out of Cloud9 or Fnatic or Team Vitality, you have these sort of a, these sort of generalized cults of who these people are. Um, and they're all serving something different to you. They're all beloved for something different, but they're all contributing something to the core brand. And um, that's actually something that's quite new in esports. That's something like as esports, because it's grown kind of in the shadows for the last 10 to 15 years, but as it's come to drift toward the mainstream, um, this is actually something that's really important. It's been quite easy for esports to pull from a lot of the codes of sports because it's the easiest comparison to make. But I think the biggest, uh, the biggest success that Fortnite had was in proving that actually esports is also a form of entertainment. And the fact that you're entertaining is actually a lot more appealing to a lot more people all at once, like in a, in a much shorter amount of time. And the fact that you're entertaining also doesn't uh, harm or dampen your competitive edge. You can still be a serious esport and still be, you know, and still be super fun. So, so those questions of identity and also specifically a brand identity and what you stand for and where you where you're headed, I think, um, are questions that you're kind of seeing the best teams, for example, like G2, Cloud9, Team Liquid, Team Vitality. They've uh, one of the reasons why they're doing so well now is because uh, they understand those questions and they've grappled with them to some success. Do you feel that we will see crossovers in the future? We will, will we see at, you know, MIPCOM 2023, we'll see the sitcom of, you know, Cloud9 versus Fnatic or, you know, something like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, Geico, a couple of years ago, they worked with uh, Team Solomid. And they created this really long campaign of just sort of like short videos, you know, like you're familiar with this format of branded content, but uh, essentially it was kind of like these sort of playful, they were basically mockumentaries of Team Solomid's existence. Like um, it was, it was a lot of fun for Geico, but it was also kind of a pretext to introduce this concept of, you know, you have an esports team. These are professional gamers and they live in this house together where they're all sort of training all the time like athletes. And it was it was, this, you know, obviously it was a comedy, but it was also a way for Geico to one, introduce that world to the mainstream because it's a mainstream brand and two, demonstrate to esports fans that um, that it understood them, that it was seeing them. And uh, that it was investing in them, which is also a really, really critical thing. So, so yeah, I think there'll be a lot of crossover, especially when you look at, for example, the fame and that's been associated with Fortnite, like how how much that's exploded. Like there are celebrities tied to it. There are like classical sports stars tied to it. Um, a lot of people are building advertising that riffs off of it. So it creates a lot, a lot bigger of an opportunity to sort of create to sort of see these crossover talents. Because one of the, the interesting things about esports is that we have a we have an issue of IP that is actually um, very particular, I would say, to our industry as well. Like, you're not just dealing with a generic sport. You're dealing with a sport in discrete cases that belongs to a publisher. <laughs> so... So one, so this creates two situations. One is that esports is changing all the time. So from year to year, it's constantly evolving. Like 
two years ago, PUBG, Fortnite, like who would have even guessed that they would be on the map and that they would be so disruptive to esports as a whole. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is when you've got a game that disrupts as hard as say Fortnite has, regardless of, you know, how many other legacy esports exist, like, you know, CSGO, League of Legends, whatever, um, you create this whole you create this whole new community and also a really rich talent base. And because Fortnite kind of walks this line between entertainment and sport, um, it actually already is cultivating a talent base that's very it can go both ways. It's mm-hmm. kind of a it's a cross platform talent. And it's also, you know, it can also be a cross sector talent. So definitely, yeah. What do you feel? Because I think I, I try with this podcast to reach uh, or to perhaps uh, help people, producers in a lot of different media fields to, to find new ways to look at what they're producing and what they're planning and developing and so forth. So so what do you feel that producers and creators from other parts of the media world, like television, film or whatever, what can they learn from esports and, and why should they do it? I would say off the cuff. A couple of things. So the first thing is something that we've already discussed a little bit. So this notion that in esports, you're building content in real time. So you need to be able to improvise and course correct in real time. This is actually really interesting. And it's something that Facebook is obviously experimenting with, with a Facebook watch. So yeah, this is kind of something that Facebook is sort of experimenting with, where it has the structure of a show. It probably has the show already totally sketched out. But it also has this element of, um, you know, you're engaging the fans live in all of these different kinds of ways. So, so you can already see ways in which, I guess, the Twitch effect is impacting other media. And another thing that I would say is that, um, also, as I mentioned earlier, esports is one of those sectors that is changing all the time. Like a hundred years from now, football will probably still more or less look like football. Um, esports, we're not even sure what it will look like next year. So, and you have a lot of things that are, that might impact it. You have a uh, mobile, you have entertainment, you have, um, you have this pressure to be a lot more mainstream friendly, which also means more welcoming to what are seen as a not traditionally esports audiences. So you have a lot of things that are kind of pushing against it that, um, that new publishers are going to take advantage of and that they should take advantage of because the biggest, I think the biggest lesson that Fortnite taught us is that, um, you can disrupt here really easily if, uh, if you have a concept that is impacting and also a concept whose time has come. And I think uh, the big thing that other, that other industries can learn from esports in the sense is that as esports federates and becomes more of a formal competitive entity in the wider sort of like economic world, it's having to grapple with that fundamental adaptability because in a lot of ways that's its greatest strength, but it's also, one of the things that makes it most complicated because everybody is trying to invest in esports and nobody totally understands like where's the best place and where's the safest bet and you know like because these things are changing all the time so seeing the way that esports grapples with that sort of chaos that's fundamental to its model is something that's worth watching for sectors that don't change that much but are increasingly changing faster and faster, and that we'll also have to grapple with the fact that they need to become more adaptable. 
That, that, that's extremely good advice. But where do you feel that we who perhaps are not that invested as of now in esports, where should we start learning? Do, do we start following recommended people on Twitch or do we start uh, playing playing PUBG ourselves or something else? I would say, okay, I would say start by dipping in a towel. So if you start by following Saila, Saira Muller of Dot Esports. She's the editor-in-chief of Dot Esports. And Chris Hanna of the Esports Observer. Already have a, you've got a pretty good sense of the, the esports pulse from a macro perspective. Um, my company, Hurrah, we also have a weekly newsletter that's pretty good that sort of just rounds up all of the critical things that happened in esports over the course of the week. Um, that's something that you can subscribe to on hurrah.gg. But it's also, yeah, so going back to Twitch, like far be it for me to, you know, suggest what kind of influencer or gamers that you should follow because esports, again, it's super vast. But um, I would check out the games people are watching now section on Twitch. Just poke through and take some time on a few videos. Just really take a look at how that universe works and how people interact because um from a windowing perspective it's really really different from what you're going to find on youtube what you'll find on facebook or other social networks and what you'll find on television because in a lot of ways um it's operating like all three but not at all like all three and it's a universe that has its own like it has its own codes so it merits just getting to know it um this would also help like if you were to do this it would also give you a sense of what kind of games you could be into because definitely it's worth trying because uh it's worth trying to game because there is nothing like that experience that experience is really particular and in that sense as well it's also worth um even if you're not ready to game yet go to a live tournament like even if it's a small one that's happening locally in your area because i know that one of the things that really even for communities within esports that I don't quite get that I can't understand. So for example, I don't get the rules of League of Legends at all. Hmm. But when I go to a tournament, I think the first tournament I ever went to was EULCS. Just that sense of a the contagion that was in the air and the fact that there were so many people there and they were all super positive was a uh, it was just infectious to me. And that's when you understand um what makes esports so compelling? Like one of the things that I really loved about that first experience, like that first experience at a tournament, was um, you have these rivalries. Obviously, people are rooting for their own teams, but um, but you don't have the negativity. Well, you don't. Maybe you don't have it yet. Um, live that comes with those rivalries. Like anytime somebody does something that strategically is just mind blowing, everybody's excited about that because people recognize how hard that is to pull off. Like it doesn't matter what team you're on. And, uh, and I really loved that. So it's something that we also recommend to clients that might not necessarily know the sector that well. Go to a tournament because it's super, super cool. Just be with those people. And finally, a final question. Um, I mean, what I what I I think we all gather is that this is a this is a field that is in a constant state of flux and is moving rapidly. But if you if I could have one prediction for you from you, what what do you think? In what direction do you feel that esports is evolving? Is it a good one or uh, what's happening? It's kind of tricky to predict the future of anything because futures are vague by their very nature. I will say though, there there are a few things that are that are pressing down on esports right now. There's the fact that um 
as esports fans get older, they tend to fall off because the esports games tend to be, um, they take a long time. You need a lot of hours to really master them and really just like get the most out of them. Um, so, so there's a sort of push to create a, to create games that, that remain just as competitively interesting, but also more snackable, which is why I would say that two of the biggest things that are, that will be critical to esports in the future are mobile and the sort of this concept of entertainment, like not just being, you know, you have to spend a whole half of your day, like, you know, clocking time, trying to get better and better. Like, obviously that competitive aspect is super important, but, uh, as mentioned, Fortnite demonstrated that it can just be fun as well. Like you can just come and, uh, have a good time and expect to be entertained. So, um, so those are two really, really big things. Esports is going to be moving more in the entertainment direction without necessarily losing its competitive edge. And you're going to also see a lot more sort of snackable esports that you can engage with on mobile. So when you're like 30 and you still want to play, but you don't have hours to clock in front of you, you know, there's maybe a really satisfying game that you can play while waiting at the doctor's office. Vainglory is actually quite good at this experience. And it's not too different from, you know, like, so for example, League of Legends, it's not very different. Um, so I would say that those two things are big. And I would also say that because those two things are really important to the future of esports, you're going to see um, just generally a huge change in uh, the demographic that esports is welcoming and that is also um, that esports is talking to. Um, mobile gaming tends to be a lot more female driven. And the more entertainment you are, the more mainstream you are. And the more mainstream you are, the more you kind of have to appeal to the codes of non endemic branding. Non endemic branding um, is super progressive and values driven. So right now you see, a, you see an esports community that's a that's mostly male in most, uh, in most Western countries, it's about 70% male. That's going to change a lot. I think. Thank you, Angela, for taking the time out to be on this podcast. It was very interesting talk with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope it was helpful. I I'm hundred percent sure it was, and I look forward to having you on again later on. Yeah, with pleasure. I would love that. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.